0: Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, You might, maybe that's part of your tradition growing up to like think about that. But Pentecost is really, it's on par with kind of the the audaciousness of it, the the hopefulness of it. Uh, Also the, the mystery of Pentecost, it's right up there with Christmas. Like Christmas, God became a baby. Like that's so strange, right? It's also up there with Easter, uh, and, and Good Friday. Good Friday, like God died. That's pretty strange. Uh, Easter, God rose from the dead. Someone dead came back to life, and that changes the whole world. That's, that's pretty wild. And then on Pentecost, we celebrate that, G, that Jesus, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, put the Holy Spirit inside of us and created a church. Like, that's what Pentecost, that's really mysterious. It's up there that God has put himself inside you, and that, that by doing that, he's created a body, a family that transcends time, that transcends nations and cultures and languages. Like, that's what happened on Pentecost Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago, and that's what we celebrate today. Uh, and so I'm going to read that, that passage. Uh, it's in Acts I'm going to read Acts 1:8 and then also two, one through five, uh, and then we're going to get into it. Uh, Acts 1:8 says this. It says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth." A bunch of stuff happens. We'll talk about it some other time. And then Acts uh, in, that, in chapter two, it says this. It says, "When the day of Pentecost came?" They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, This is God's word, and we'll read a little bit more later on. Uh, this, is, this is, as I said, a pretty audacious kind of day, and while Christmas, there's a lot of Christmas tunes, and we put a lot of time into it, and we kind of become comfortable with that strangeness. Easter, Good Friday, you know, there's crosses that we wear. We become comfortable with the cross. Uh, Easter, there's eggs, the pastel colors. It's fun. It's special. We're comfortable with that Pentecost, this story, which is just as crazy as those others, but just equally as true, uh, we're not really that comfortable with. And, and maybe we even think, what does that mean? Like, what does this mean that, that the, the Spirit came down and filled these disciples and then filled uh, the church? Uh, there's a few things that it means, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The first is, is that the presence of God, the presence of the King of the world, is now inside of you. That's what Pentecost means, that's what this Sunday is all about, a celebration that the spirit of the living God is not some sort of extraterrestrial way out there that you need to discover, but is is within you. Uh, Throughout the whole scriptures, there's so much on the presence of God just as a basic theme, but one of the things I just want to highlight is that as the people of Israel were becoming a people out of captivity from Egypt, and as they're wandering around in the desert, they had this uh, moment where God wrote on stone what he wanted from them, Uh, and it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It begins with, like, I am the Lord your God. Uh, I rescued you like on eagle's wings, and I'm making you a kingdom of priests. And then it writes the Ten Commandments, like then the hand of God writes this in stone. And that's actually what's celebrated on Pentecost, the festival itself, the Jewish festival is a celebration of God wrote what he, is in, what he wants for humanity. And they took those stones and they put them in what's called the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and you know all about this. Uh, I was terrified even in seminary to study the Ark of the Covenant because I thought maybe my face would melt like that Nazi guy. Anyway, they put it in the Ark of the Covenant and what that became was the very presence of God. His will, his desire, who he was was in that Ark. And they would carry it into battles uh, for, for generation after generation. Everywhere that that went, you know, it was like the, the battle, the king was like going in this little strange Ark of the Covenant. You had to be born of a special family to carry it. You had to go through these special special practices, wear special clothes just to carry the thing like a pallbearer. Uh, And then they would put the the Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle and later the temple in this room that they called the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God was in there. It was from that place that, that again, you'd have to be born of a special family. You would have to sacrifice bulls and do all this really uh, particular stuff. Uh, You would have to be uh, well yourself. And then you could go into this room that was the holiest of holies in the very presence of God, and then you could stand in there and do some work on behalf, behalf of the people. It was pretty, like, that's a remarkable sort of thing. And, and if you think about the presence of God in the whole of scriptures, uh, if you were a first you know, century person, that's what you would think about. It's like, oh yeah, the holy of holies. Uh, uh, amazingly, uh, when Jesus was dying on the cross and a huge cloud came over the whole place and the earth shook violently because, you know, God himself had given up. Uh, out of love for the whole world. He had died himself. The whole world shook. And then the curtain that separated that holy, the presence of God from everybody else, that curtain was torn in two. It's a pretty, you might remember that part of the story. And then, you know, Jesus rises from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He goes around. uh, He teaches his disciples. We talked about that in the week after Easter. And then he says, you know what's gonna come next is the Spirit of, of God. My spirit, the Father's spirit, will be poured into you, and you will receive power. And that's what happens on this day, that, that the, the presence of God is not in a temple anymore because of Jesus's death and his resurrection. That now each of you don't just have access to go in there and to be with God. Like, hey, we're all. we don't have to be born of the right family. We don't have to do the right practices. There's no other sacrifice that needs to be done for us to go to the presence of God it's so much better than that. It's that the very presence of God is now within each of us. And what it's doing is it's declaring over you again and again that you are his child, that you are loved, that you are accepted, that it doesn't uh, matter what else is going on within you, that the very breath of God is inside of you. Uh, I know uh, I kind of see these things around the city that I think are pretty funny, uh, People, put, like, they have, uh, you know, rails on top of their car, but it's not for, like, surfboards or bicycles. It's for this advertisement billboard thing. Have you seen those? And it's just all the time changing. Uh, and, and the person's just driving to the city. A lot of times they're Uber Eats drivers, and they're just, they're just like, trying to make enough money. It's pretty great. But it's funny. Sometimes the stuff is, like, pizzas, you know, advertisements or TV shows, and everywhere they drive, it's just, like, promoting that everywhere. Uh, one of the things that, that helps me understand what the Holy Spirit is like uh, in our life and what this means is that the presence of God is, is in us, and it's as if we have this big billboard hanging above our whole lives, everywhere we go, everything that we encounter, and what that billboard says is, I belong to the King, and I belong to His kingdom. He is mine, and I am His. Like, that's what the Holy Spirit is. Uh, Paul, in Ephesians 1.13, talks about how the Spirit is a seal, kind of as if it's the, the punchline of a contract that binds us to God. Uh, at the very, uh, in Ephesians as well, he talks about the Spirit as being the, the first deposit of a whole inheritance that we're going to get. Uh, you can see at the end of Scriptures that the inheritance, the, when we get the whole deal and the whole kingdom, it says that the dwelling place with God is now with people. But for you and me, those of us who follow Jesus, who've been baptized, who have the spirit of God within us, we're tasting that inheritance right now because we're not waiting for the dwelling place of God to be with humanity. We already have the dwelling of God within us. That's quite the perk. And it begins today that you you live that future reality right now. Some of my, my grandparents have given me stuff before they died, and it was so great because they're like, we want to see you enjoy this thing. And that's that kind of inheritance that you have, and it's this Holy Spirit. The other thing that this means is that you have the power of the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. is like when the Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. Now, power is this very strange, strange uh, word. There's actually a great new book uh, by this guy, Andy Crouch. He wrote The TechWise... Family, that's a book that most people have read, or uh, he wrote a book on culture. But he also wrote a book about how power is one of the characteristics of God. But in our culture for the last 70 years, we've been talking about power as this bad thing, this distorted, and it's bad and it's been distorted by sin and even our, and our culture is acknowledging it. But the power of God is actually a good, beautiful thing. He talks about how power is the ability to keep and to make a promise. And that is the power of God uh, that we receive. It's not like the power of these kingdoms or that we see in this world today or institutions or organizations. Uh, Those powers, you know, they use manipulation or threats or financial muscle. You know, it's like, you can't hurt me. I have all this money. Uh, they, they use performance, like because you're so good, you get to acquire more and more power. If you're, if you're good in your company, if you perform really well, then you know you get a, away with more stuff, right? And that's what power is about in our culture, or, or association, like I know this person, this person's my friend, or don't you know who I am? Sometimes we get power through popularity, like so many people love me, so many people like what I've done, so I can get away with this stuff. You know, just think about Bill Cosby. He's like all of those things wrapped up into one. It's like, how does he do that? Or Harvey Weinstein or all of these other people. It's because they've accumulated power. And then what is it used for? That power is just used to to maintain it, right? Maybe to get a little bit more security or add a little bit more popularity or financial muscle or those sorts of things. I keep using muscle because I watched The Godfather yesterday. That's how I resisted. Uh, the temptation of eating Nora's cookies but the spirit and the kingdom of god operates on a completely different power this power is from a self-giving self-donating love that's the power of the kingdom the power of the holy spirit the power of the kingdom is from suffering as a servant for the sake of others The power is of surrendering so that others might be healed. The power is from truth, even hard truth, spoken to to let others walk in freedom. The power of the kingdom brings death to life. And if you're wondering, like, what is the power of the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be filling my whole life? All you need to do is look to Jesus and how he operated, and and then you will see. Right? His power of self-donating, sacrificial love on the cross to set captives free. Him speaking the truth into the world, not because he wants to be the smartest person in the room and have that kind of power, but so that he would use his power to speak the truth so that we might walk in freedom, that we might walk in truth. It's a pretty powerful thing. Um, you might think, how can I be so sure that I have this kind of power, that's what it's, it's all about. You just have to look at the spirit-empowered life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. Then Luke chapter four, it says that the spirit of God came upon Jesus and then everything else that he did, all throughout Luke, there's these little markers about by the power of the spirit or filled with the spirit or overwhelmed with the spirit. And Jesus was living in that way and that's what we're invited to as well. That kind of power. But what's it for? You know, if the power of this world is for, you know, kind of gaining and keeping power, what's the power of the kingdom used for? It's used to build the kingdom and the healing of nations. The spirit of God in us means that we become participants in the kingdom. Participants in the kingdom. This is, this is the last thing. I know, we all want tacos. The spirit of God... In the kingdom, you know. Often, I think we say we want more and more of God. Like that's even some of our songs. We want the Spirit to fill us. Uh, I don't know if you grew up in that kind of church. I did. You know, like and let's let's have more and more of the Spirit. And often, what we think of or or what we're actually asking for is, can I have more and more experiences of God? Can I have another sort of dose, a little extra thing, a kind of moment where I know for certain, like, God was here with us. I know theologically God's always here with us. But when we say we want more of the Spirit, we just want more experiences of the Spirit, you know, and, and so that we can say for certainly, like, I felt it. I knew it. And and I just want to say, I think, you know, signs and wonders and expressions of gifts and healings and words of knowledge and prophecies, that is awesome, and I hope we taste a lot of those experiences in our church. But sometimes I think we talk about the Spirit or God's presence in our life kind of like micro excursions that you take uh, when you go on an all-inclusive resort kind of vacation. We're all basically in that, you know. We we've done that. Have you done that before? Where you go and you just sit at the pool and you get free drinks and free food, but you paid for it. But it feels free because you paid for it a long time ago, and no one gives you a check afterwards. They totally dupe me because they give me the check and it has a little spot to do a tip, and I I can't. It's like there's something within me. It's like I have to put something there because they'll know I put nothing there, even though they keep telling me I've already tipped. Anyway, when you're sitting in those resorts or you're on a cruise or something like that, it kind of gets boring if you do it for a long enough time to just sit there and drink, you know, the drinks and and splash in the pool and all that. And so you decide, hey, let's go on a little mini excursion. Let's go snorkeling or go to the tequila tasting thing or let's, you know, go... paragliding or sorts, you know, and you can sign up for these little excursions to wrestle you out of the mundaneness of just sitting by the pool and enjoying that freedom. And so I think often what we say is that the Holy Spirit and his work within us is like that, like that's what it exists for, for these minor little excursions. Maybe through the Christian life, it gets a little mundane, a little boring. We just keep going through the motions and we say, what I really want is a big new experience, little mini excursion, and then I can't wait to come back to the pool afterwards. It's pretty funny. Without fail, every time I've done the mini excursion, I'm like, man, I wish I would have just stayed here at the pool, right? But the kingdom of God, the spirit of God put in you, makes you a participant in the kingdom, It's given to us not to have just merely some experiences, it's poured out into you and to me that we might participate in the kingdom of God coming today and now. Primarily, the Spirit is not given to us so that we can taste some stuff, but that we might walk within the mission and the kingdom of God for all things. That's what it says in Acts 1.8, as I read, that they would, you know, be witnesses, that the power of God would make them witnesses all over the world. Uh, The Spirit is so wonderful that we would be invited to participate in the healing of nations. Uh, And then what happens on Pentecost is the the Spirit bursts the church, right? And then it's supposed to go and remake all things, all the parables about the kingdom, they really take root now, and we're supposed to go and, and do that stuff. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's a pretty overwhelming idea to think about, I don't know, that now we're supposed to go heal the nations. We're all supposed to be participants in the kingdom of God, witnesses to the whole world. It makes me think of, and I've thought of this plot before, that, that I really want, suppose I or you, really want to go on one of these missions to Mars, but you're not qualified at all. Like you haven't gone to the right schools, you're not the right height, you don't have the right experience. They're not looking for you. But you have a friend who has all those qualifications. And so you you have them fill out the application for you. They put on their credentials, their test scores, their experiences, their abilities. It's all put out there. And then you get accepted because of all the stuff that they've done, right? And now you're in the program. And they're like, hey, here's the launch date. And you're like, hey, when does the training happen? You know, like, that sounds a little scary. You're just going to put me on the rocket. And then they say, hey, with your experience and your know-how and your, your credentials, training would just be a waste of time for you. So they put the suit on you. They put you in this big rocket that's about to go to Mars. And then you really begin to panic, like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what's about to happen. I have no idea uh, what I'm, what's about to happen. I have no idea where I'm going or how I'm gonna go there. I am completely clueless and unable. They're gonna push the button, the rocket's gonna go into the space, and I'm just gonna be like drifting away like the lady at the end of Interstellar, right? Is that what happens? Is that that one? Anyway, spoiler. And see, the only way for your whole plot To to work of like, hey, my friend's going to apply for me. I was really hoping Andrew Feistel was going to be here because I was going to make him be my friend. The only way for that to work, uh, for him to not only give you the credentials, but also he would have to give you their mind, their experience, their vision, their plans, and their abilities, right? For that whole plan to work. like, They would have to somehow transfer to you the ability to fly that rocket to Mars and then build a whole settlement on it, right? That is exactly the amazing news about Jesus and the gospel, not just that he died and rose again and ascended, but that he gave you the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus not only makes you a citizen in his kingdom, but he gives you all of the will and the ability to live the kingdom, uh, the kingdom uh, and citizenship in it is a pretty high bar, right? It's, about kingdom, it's a kingdom of sacrifice, of devotion. It's about community and mission and breaking bread. It's about grief and mourning. It's about dancing. It's a kingdom of dreams. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. How are we supposed to live that out, right? It can feel like you've just been put on a rocket and you're going out in space and you have no idea what to do but that's what's so amazing about Pentecost that's what we celebrate that the spirit not only saves you and raises you to abundant life but it fills you and it empowers you to do it or as paul says in philippians 2:13 he's both the will and the work to accomplish everything that he's desired to accomplish through your life he's given you the goods It's pretty remarkable that that not only coming into the kingdom is grace, but the living through it is grace. It's all by the power and the presence of God. And so this church uh, that that received this on Pentecost Sunday did some pretty amazing things right afterwards. They're probably at at tops 140 people in this moment. And in the back of their head, they're thinking, I'm supposed to, with us, like a group like us, so the whole world's going to find out and become disciples through us, I mean, when we talk about just Culver City, that's pretty overwhelming, right? We talk about Los Angeles. There was like, no, the whole world is going to know about Jesus because of us. They're looking around in the room like, how is this going to happen? And it happens because they receive power and the presence of God. And then they get to participate in it, and it's pretty remarkable. I'm going to end just by reading what happens uh, here uh, from, from 5 on. It says, And this is right after they start talking in these different languages. And then it says this. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us, each of us hears them in our native language? Then he goes on to list all of these different people. There's Parthians, there's Medes and Elamites, there's residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocius, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and then parts of Libya near Cyrene, uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Just to pause there for just a second. It's, Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses to the whole nations. And then on this day, it's as if he answered it completely by his own timing, by his own work, and then putting the spirit within them. They've like already you know, shared the gospel with the nations. At this point, that's already happened. They're, they're hearing the wonders of God in their own language. And they're like, what does this actually mean? That we might be a church in which the spirit is so dwelling within us that the multitudes of people in this city would look and ask us, what does this mean? They keep talking about the wonders of God in a way that I can hear and understand and burns my heart. And then it says in verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine, which I just think is fun. Like we can expect some cynicism in our culture. Like they're speaking in a language that they could hear that they shouldn't know They're like, it's because they're drunk. Like, give me that kind of alcohol that gives you an ability to speak foreign languages that you've never learned before, right? But they're like, that's the cynicism part. Like, they don't know what they're doing. They're like, let's just make fun of it and put it down. And then Peter stands up with the 11, it says in verse 14, and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. This guy who was nervous days ago is now courageous all because of the presence and the power of the spirit. So, you might feel feeble and weak and like you you couldn't even fast over the last 24 hours. And I don't know if I have the ability to even talk about Jesus within my DNA group. The power of the Spirit enables you to do these kinds of things. Peter stood up and he said, Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning that's his rebuttal. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. No special people, all people. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy Your young men will see visions. Just side note, this was a moment in history where young men had no vision for their lives. It was feeble, it was weak, there was no purpose in living. It was just all, what's the point? Kind of sounds familiar for a whole generation of people that we live around. He says, but no, like when the spirit comes, young people will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. No more just like, I guess I'm here To die, but old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and the signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then he says, and he's all still quoting Joel, he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what happens on Pentecost. This is what happens for us. This is the truth for us. And these are the last days that we're living in, the days when the Spirit has filled the church, where the Spirit rests upon us, the day when, when we can have visions and dreams for this world, for, this, for his kingdom come. This is the time where we get to declare everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. These are our days. You know, my kids, they're, they're starting to want to play Bible times. I don't know, that, that sounds a little dorky, but they get together, like, let's play Bible times, you know, and they have this whole imagination about, like, let's play, like, way back in the old days. But this is not... The old days for us, when we like this this moment forward is our moment. Uh, Lastly, Leo Tolstoy, he wrote a great and really complicated book called The Kingdom of God is Within You. And the reason I say that is because like it's hard for me to understand. So maybe it's not complicated, I'm just weak of mind. But in that book, he's really, he's pushing away a lot of institutions, a lot of organized religions, but then he notices something about the message of Jesus. That's what he keeps talking about, the message of Christ and his kingdom and the truth. And he says, when the truth of the message of Jesus gets inside someone... Like this external thing about the truth of Jesus that happened a long time ago, when that happens and it gets inside of a person, it begins to change them and transform who they are on the insides. And then he says, what's crazy is that transformation of the truth and the message of Jesus that was on the outside, that's now come to the inside, now goes back to the outside, At one point, it becomes really clear, he says, the external reality becomes an internal reality that then becomes an external movement. And that's why Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and many, many people who've tried to say, how can I change the world, keep getting drawn to this book, which just says over and over again that the truth of Jesus somehow gets inside of us And then inside of us, it then transforms everything around us. He talks about how everywhere that the gospel has gone, where the truth of Jesus is in their heart, everywhere it goes, it somehow starts schools. It somehow starts uh, projects that feed people that are hungry. It somehow starts hospitals and all of these things. And he says, it's because the kingdom of God is within you. And that is like, man, that's it, right? Like, that's what we're all about. Uh, and so what we're going to do now uh, is uh, we're going to take communion uh, together, breaking the fast, not just with tacos, but with the body and the bread of Jesus. Uh, the, sorry, that was the same thing. The body and the blood, uh, the, the, the bread and the wine. And we're going to take that, we're going to remember, even if, if you're quite hungry at this moment, that he fills us with the power of, that's so much more than just morsels of bread and water, that he, he fills us with his presence and his power, and it's all because Jesus has paid the way, because he died for us, that we might be brought into the, to his kingdom, that he rose from the dead, that the spirit might be put inside of us, because we are made the righteousness of God. And so let's go and let's take communion, and then we'll respond again with a song. Jesus, we thank you for your spirit today. We ask that you would fill us that we would lean into this truth. Uh, Thank you that you have uh, not just called us into a kingdom, but you give us all the power to live it out. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.